<laughs> but no, this is not Australia. This is the Boink Radio Podcast, and welcome everyone on this Friday, February 24th, wow, 21st at 4 p.m. EST here on the Boink Network Discord. I am your host, Jay Ringo, joined as always by our favorite Australian Boinker, Delta. Good day. Oh, very fitting. Uh, <laughs> how's your tea this morning, my friend? Uh, it's in, it's an interesting one. I'm trying some new flavors. This time I got, uh, was it, chamomile with spiced apple. So I'm going pretty, um, I wouldn't say tropical, probably just different. <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, it's yeah. very fresh. Um, and yeah, uh, talking, speaking of fresh, Australia is coming towards the end of its wet season. We had our first real big electrical storm out here in the eastern suburbs. It was one of the biggest that we've had in a while, but it's not one of the most destructive we had. If you walked outside during the storm, it was like almost midnight. It it's basically looks like a cyclone. You had all the rain going sideways. You had an electrical storm going on. It was pretty good. And uh, I was sitting there listening to my radio because I wanted to listen to all the lightning pop as it <laughs> interfered with the radio. That's kind of fun. Also, didn't you just have the dry season like three weeks ago? Yep, that was the um, big. Oh, that that was the big um, exacerbated drought. So we've had a drought for I think two, three years now, and last year was probably uh, the worst of it. And hopefully this so year we're going to get some wet. more rain. It was a really big cut to the wet season. It was actually pretty um, substantial. As soon as we went into the wet season, we had I think seven or eight straight days of rain. Wow. That's nuts. If you guys listening here want to learn more about climate and what the heck is going on with that weather over in Australia, take a listen to Delta's Project Brief from last week on CPDN, climateprediction.net. Otherwise, you can learn how to read synoptic charts. I <laughs> <laughs> was love that. Otherwise, this week we're going to be talking about web-based Boeing projects, and there's a really cool news article we want to get into. Uh, and I forgot to tell you what you're listening to here at the Boink Radio Podcast, where we talk about all things Boink, Boink News, and some science fun things, because it's Friday afternoon, and we're all unwinding, getting ready for the weekend. It's Friday morning it's for Delta. It's Saturday morning for you? You're right. Yeah. You're ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> Delta's already started the weekend. How's the weekend coming? Does it look good? It's slow. Oh, <laughs> it's it's cloudy outside, so whenever it's cloudy, I wake up really tired, so I hope this tea's going to help. We'll wake you up with some pretty cool science science news but first do you know what time it is i think it's time to roll the intro (laughs) all right let's get started what's first i wanted to talk about this article that's coming out of mit titled artificial intelligence yields new antibiotic and i thought it was very fitting because artificial intelligence okay Maybe this is a bit of a hype article. They used machine learning uh, to train uh, uh, an application, I guess, to identify a new antibiotic using uh, computational science. So it didn't use Boink, it didn't use distributed computing, but it used the same principle uh, of computational science to find this really cool new uh, antibiotic that is kind of probably going to start a new uh, sort of revolution in antibiotics. Because as we all know, uh, antibiotic resistant drugs are a pretty big deal and they're just getting worse and worse and penicillin and all those other, uh, ABs are not cutting it anymore. Uh, and it's, they're evolving. You know, the, the bacteria is evolving and is it, until this, it was actually fairly scary. Like, uh, antibiotic resistant drugs were a real deal, particularly in hospitals and, um, war zones or just really anywhere. Uh, 
Yeah, so basically they did what I said, used machine learning to train a uh, program to uh, find this new molecule. And they searched through uh, 6,000 different compounds from uh, a drug repository. And from that repository, they found a, a molecule that was predicted to have a strong antibacterial uh, antibacterial activity and a chemical structure that is different from any other antibiotic. And they also were able to determine that it was probably not toxic. And this sounds really familiar because we just talked about the uh, World Community Grid's completion of the, uh, what was it called? The Zika project? Yep. And to be clear, they didn't just find one, they found a number of possible candidates. And it just, it's pretty much exactly the same as Rosetta at home and also the open Zika that we were talking about before, where they find a whole bunch of interesting candidates that look really good. So instead of testing 6 billion different possibilities in a lab, you now only have to test about a couple hundred possibilities. Yeah. And that they found this chem- this molecule. It, all it is is a interesting molecule right and it goes in and the way it attacks the cell is it um goes after the cell membrane essentially and that it turns out i suppose according to these guys <laughs> is uh part of the cell that is very difficult to evolve uh so it, it's very unlikely that this that bacteria is going to be able to evolve a resistance to this attack factor uh quickly and in fact, in the studies, this bacteria did not become resistant to this thing. And they studied it in mice. So like Delta was saying, they took this thing from the computer and they put it into a lab and they attacked bacteria in Petri dishes with this molecule and it worked. And then they put it in mice and it worked. And now they're trying to figure out how to put it into humans uh, and hopefully it'll work. Um, I'm glad it worked in the mice. You didn't want to kill some mice with like tuberculosis or something. <laughs> so scary. I think they used the That's coli. a poor way to go. <laughs> Poor mind. Which is brings up, you know, as a little tangent here, brings up another uh, really cool computational science thing. They're trying to build organs and like entire uh, biotic systems, living systems on computer chips. So we no longer need to test on mice or on humans. You can test on the computer and then have a relative certainty about what the thing is going to do once you actually put it in a real organ or a real animal. So maybe we won't need to be killing all these these cute little mice or risking these new drugs on humans, particularly when the current uh, FDA system and similar systems around the world are pretty uh, lackluster nowadays. Pretty cool. Uh, Considering you bring that up, uh, another good point is that it should be noted that given the nature of computers, it's not 100% precise. And that goes for AI as well. AI is typically what's called a decision support system. It's not a decision-making system, and that's why it's used in this context in the case of saying, hey, this might be a good decision. You might want to try it out. Um, same with computers, as you're talking about with the simulation. It can't simulate to a very... Uh, it, it can simulate to a very accurate depth, but beyond that, it starts to get a lot inaccurate. And so it's important to note and make sure that people know that these computer systems are for de- decision support, not decision-making. Absolutely. Yeah, the whole thing here is to take... So, for example, actually, after they identified this molecule, which they're calling Hallison, after Hal from uh, Space Odyssey, uh, the movie, uh, after they found Hallison, they screened another 100 million molecules from the Zinc-15 database, uh, and they just did that in three days. So if you had, if you didn't have decision support AI, as you're describing it, uh, that would not take three days. <laughs> that would take quite a while. Oh, can you imagine yeah, having to do that? Or something. <laughs> yeah. how, how many bacteria can we test per day? Um, I don't know, depends, man. It depends I, how many lab rats we have. Yeah, and my, my uh, pipette squeezing fingers are out of out of practice. They're weak. I got to start I'm working. I'm going to get arthritis from that. <laughs> <laughs> Squeeze your pipette. 
Yeah, so, so yeah, these things take those 100 millions and they uh, screen it down to, uh, in this example, uh, to 23 candidates, which they describe as structurally dissimilar from existing antibiotics and predicted to be non-toxic in human cells. So now instead of having to test 100 million different molecules in a lab, you can go and test 23. You can probably and do possibly kill 100 million mice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you have a vendetta against mice. Is it because of, um, I can't remember the movie. Uh-oh. Hey, if it passes the ethical committee, then you have every right to kill the mouse. Wow, what's the movie where At the mice that's what I know. The... Oh, Pinky and the Brain? Oh, great show. Oh my god, not what I'm thinking of, but definitely that. <laughs> no, it was a famous book, and there's a depressed robot. Zoe Deschanel was in the movie. Why can't I remember what it's called? It's probably too old for me. <laughs> no, it's not. So long, and thank you for the, all the fish. Uh, oh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I want to say it's Douglas. It's something. I don't know. Oh, this is going to be bug. I'm yeah, going to look nah. this up. <laughs> The answer 42, isn't it? Whoever's listening to this right now is just like, oh my god, it is... Uh... Yeah, Douglas Adams. It's Guide to the Galaxy. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh man, oh, I apologize one. to everyone. <laughs> oh, why, were, why was I thinking about that? Your mice? Your vendetta against mice? Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so... Uh... Oh, they continued this research. Just moving on with this article really quick. Uh, it will. The link will be in the description below if we can put it there. So do check it out. It's a pretty straightforward and short article. Uh, but they moved forward after testing those 100 million uh, molecules from the Zinc-15 database. They moved forward to and finding 23. They tested those and they found uh, that eight of the molecules showed antibacterial activity and two were particularly powerful. So this guiding hand, this artificial intelligence said, hey, play with these 23. And from those 23, five were like, eh, okay, they sort of work. But two were like, we're going to continue researching these a little further and see what they can do. Uh, and then the, you know, that database alone is 1.5 billion chemical compounds. So they've only tested 100 million of those. And I think they plan to uh, test more, which is pretty cool. So um, I, I know a project that's sort of similar to this, um, not on Boink, but on Zooniverse.org, um, one of my favorite uh, citizen science sites, Beyond Boink. Um, and they have a project called Bash the Bug, and it's really sim to the, similar to this one, where you have to um, take a look at some Petri dishes or agar plates, and uh, you'll be looking at bacteria that's growing and successive increases of um, antibiotics going onto each of the agar plates. And it's really interesting seeing how the antibiotics actually affect the different bacteria as the dosage increases. So if any of you are interested in taking a look at like live bacteria and looking at what it actually looks like in an agar plate and how antibiotics affect it, you can go on to zooniverse.org. It's like universe, but zoo. And uh, check out Bash the Bug. It's a, it's a nice um, uh, citizen science um, project without having to use your computer, but rather use your brain. That sounds really cool. And if you've never listened or listened to bacteria, if you ever seen bacteria in a Don't dish, play the black hole sound. <laughs> how'd you know it was coming? Uh, no. If uh, if you've never seen bacteria grow, uh, definitely do it. It's a really cool thing to just watch, like four colonies, watch them form colonies and everything. I had a friend in, uh, oh God, that was it's like third or fourth grade in elementary school, come in and gave us all uh, swabs, little Q-tips. We ran around and swabbed different things in the classroom. Like I swabbed uh, headsets over by one of the tape cassette players. People swabbed uh, like, tape door cassettes. <laughs> I know, right? 
Oh, I still remember what it looks like. It was beautiful. Um, but yeah, and, and then we swabbed them onto a petri dish. She took them and put them in a little incubator and came back like the following week. And we all got to see our bacteria grow, well, like what it looked like. And it was really cool to watch. So that's something you could actually probably do at home. There's probably kits out there. All you got to do is keep it warm and just stick it in the oven. Yeah, right? Yeah. Check it out. It's, bacteria is a fascinating thing. But now we can kill it. Yay! I bet there's like a 10-hour YouTube video of just watch bacteria grow or something like that. Oh, show's canceled. Time to go watch that. <laughs> no, no, we'll watch it during the show. All good. <laughs> Mystery science theater, except it's just us watching 10 hours of bacteria grow. Better get some popcorn. <laughs> All right. So that is this news article. I just found it really fascinating and, uh, frankly, a pretty big deal. Uh, that we can now use computational science, the same uh, one of the same principles that Boink is built on to develop or uh, find molecules that are going to save us from the coming wave of antibacterial resistant drugs or antibacterial resistant bacteria. Oh, Bac- say that is that bacteria times, resistant bacteria? Bacteria resistant bacteria. It's called viruses. They kill people. <laughs> ha ha ha. Good Call point. Back. Good point. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, Delta, you made a post on Reddit talking about um, using Boink in a web browser, didn't you, the other day? Yeah, and uh, I post I post Reddit posts here and there on the r slash Boink subreddit, uh, if, uh, and I, I get people to engage, and maybe if you um, comment on one of my posts, you'll probably get your um, message or opinion into the Boink radio, and so I like going around and asking people what they like and what they don't like, and uh, last week, I made a post about web-based projects. So to explain what a web-based project is, it's basically Boink. So Boink on your normal computer, where you get tasks and compute them and send them back, except it's in the web browser and not actually installed onto your computer. Now, there's a lot of issues with this, and there's also a lot of good things that come out of it, and uh, that's why I wanted to hop onto Reddit, uh, Reddit and see what people think. As an example of what I'm talking about, there is a project called Folding at Home, which doesn't have anything to do with Boink, and they they are their own sort of citizen science um, distributed computing project. And they had a website, I think it might be still up, I think it's nacl.foldingathome.org, and that was a... Um, a web-based project, pretty much. So you would go onto there and click Run, and then it would download a project from Folding at Home, and then you could run all the simulations in your web browser, and then it will submit the results back to Folding at Home. Now, the only unfortunate thing about this is that the software got old, and the thing that it ran on, which was NACL, funny enough, uh, actually got deprecated, which means that Google no longer supports it because Google made an NCL. But I'll talk about that later. Um, I have a point about that. And um, so, yeah, folding, folding at home's web interface was actually pretty good. I used to run it every now and then when I was on a computer that I couldn't run Boink on. And uh, the, main, the main reason for putting it into a browser is so that you can basically compute any way you want without having to disrupt the existing system that you're on by installing new software, connecting to all sorts of funky things, whereas you can just hop into the web browser and hey presto, here you go. I guess one issue is that maybe you might not want to use school computers, but at the same time, who really cares? <laughs> I did it all the time on my school computers. Um, but only on the one that I was using, not what everyone else was using. And one point that someone made uh, in the Reddit post was that it actually opens it up to so many people. So it's a really easy thing. All you do is you go to this website, nacl.foldingathome.org or boink.org or something like that. 
Um, and you can just hop on and run just distributed computing. You don't have to pick a pro. You don't have to fiddle around picking projects. You don't have to fiddle around configuring your computer. You don't have to configure the settings. You just say, I want to run it on this many CPUs and press play. It's all good. Now, someone mentioned that it's great for first timers because it can, as they say, get your foot in the door. The thing is, does it keep you there? And that's that's a little bit of an issue. But um, even though we're getting your foot in the door, it might encourage you to actually download the full Boink software and put it on your computer. And uh, as the person says, it's not really for the long term. Uh, but what do you think about that, Jay Ringo? Do you think that uh, people will give it up in the short term? Or do you think that they occasionally hop on and say, hey, I'll contribute some computing power? I think uh, the using it as a get in the door sort of thing is a really, really cool concept. Like if you could visualize some stuff and like I, I picture an ad, right? And it would say, go to this website and contribute to science. And people go to the website and it really sucks them in. We're like, this is the science you're now doing just by going to this website. Uh, here, here's here's what you're doing. Well, as soon as you close the web page, you're going to stop doing the science. But if you want to keep doing it and learn more, you can go get the client and sort of go to the second tier of uh, engagement. But yeah, I... I don't. <laughs> I also see it as sort of like this temporary thing, like we were talking about, where people are browsing on a temporary computer. They're like, oh, I'm here at this computer. I might as well open up this and do some work units while I'm doing whatever I'm doing. But I also see a potential problem coming up with that in terms of work unit cancellations. But oh, yeah, but uh, I mean, Boeing handles that pretty well in itself. And you, you do have a point. It might be a bit more inefficient. And I'm going to get to that point in a bit. Um, but as for what you were saying with um, encouraging them to actually get the full client and download Boink and get and get running like as a typical Boink user, I think that's a good thing. So if we're ever going to make a web project, I think it does need to it needs to be able to encourage people to go further. So for example, as you were saying, you might want to put a visualization in there. So maybe look at the proteins folding in real time or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's um, one person's opinion with uh, how much people come in and how much computing gets done. And then now talking about it, uh, efficiency or the lack thereof. So because it's in a browser, browsers have a lot of security features. And usually there's a big trade-off in computing. If you have more security, usually you have less performance or less usability. But less security means more performance and more usability. And in the case of web browsers, it's extremely high security and not that great performance. And that's what one person in um, the Reddit comments section actually said. They said that because it's going in a browser, there's so many different layers that you have to chew through in the software, and it's just really inefficient. And so I mentioned, well, hold on. If it's so easy to get on and start computing this stuff, wouldn't there be more people coming in doing less efficient work as opposed to with regular Boink, less people doing more efficient work? And would that offset? What do you think of that, Jay Ringo? Hold on, lay that out again. What's the question? Okay, so we're talking about inefficiency here. So running a web-based project is um, inefficient because it's in the browser and the browser has all sorts of security features and all this crazy stuff that reduces performance. So if it's really easy to get in on a web-based project, There'd, be, there'd probably be more people coming in and crunching via their web browsers. Um, but the thing is, compare that with Boink as it is now. Um, it's like comparing more people crunching with less efficiency versus less people crunching with more efficiency, on, as, as in the Boink client. So what do you think about that? Do you think there'd be more people coming on and crunching in the web than Boink? Or what, what do you think? Uh, I don't think we'd lose anyone from core Boink. Uh, um, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying just comparatively, we might be getting more people 
in the browser because it's so easy compared to installing and configuring Boink on the computer. Yeah, but then when a lot of them end up uh, getting the uh, main Boink app, if as long as we can give them the information in an accessible way on the browser, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I want to come do this. So, yeah, you might get a good number of people that do inefficient crunching, uh, but those people wouldn't even see Boink otherwise. So it's not, I don't, I don't think there's any drawback, at least from what I'm understanding. Yeah, and I think if we're going to deal with that sort of um, pathway, I guess it is, it, whether it's inefficient or not, it doesn't matter because it's simply, you're still doing the science and you get people roped into getting in and installing it on the computer. Um, yeah, I was uh, yeah, I was just thinking. Well, is it is it worth it? Considering that we'll have probably more people coming on through the web browser doing less efficient work, which offsets the less people crunching on the more efficient work, sort of thing. But anyway, uh, let's move on from that. And uh, now let's talk about some of the software because there's a lot of issues with the software side of things. So. In the web browser, it's really, really, really hard to program in something other than JavaScript or HTML or CSS. And so people have developed lots of different software packages and libraries and stuff like that that try and help. So going through just some quick history, the first one that we ever saw that supported C++ or C in the browser was something called ASM.js, which means that if you programmed a C program or a program, uh, for those who don't know what C is, it's a programming language. If you program something in C and you want to incorporate it into a, into a web browser, you'd have to use back in the day ASM.js because what would happen is you'd compile the C code and the computer would run through it and turn it into an ex executable file. And that's what's called a binary or an assembly binary. And so ASM.js would plug that into the web browser, all right? And then Google came along and they said, let's make something called NACL, which basically does the same thing, but even better. And so they grab a binary and they plug it into their Google Chrome browser. Thing is, it only worked for Google Chrome. And of course, it didn't really work for any other web browsers. And now, as I've said earlier, it's deprecated. So Google has dropped support for it. Um, and uh, yeah, so the next basic standard that we have in the latest one, and which I think is probably going to last for a little while now, is something called WebAssembly. Now, it's much like the last ones before, except it's way more secure and has a lot more performance gains. So even if we were to put um, a web-based project using WebAssembly into the web browser, it might be a little bit less efficient, but it's not as bad because you're basically taking the executable file and plugging it into web browser. And it's basically the same as almost running it on your computer. Now, uh, there is a little bit of a security concern with this stuff, but um, with WebAssembly, they've got much more security than the previous implementations. And as open source software is, there's constantly people coming in, there's people reviewing the code, there are people coming in and doing security testing, and it's just a consistent and continuous process of improving the security. So over time, as WebAssembly develops, because it is still pretty new, we'll get much more um, security. Now, there are also some other comments saying that it's already been uh, done before, and there are some other projects that run it. Uh, there is one person that uh, talks about something called Spark slash DCC. I believe it is a cryptocurrency. And on their website, they have a way that you can crunch asteroids at home within the browser. And uh, speaking of asteroids at home, if you want to meet me next next week on the Boink Radio, I'll be doing a project brief on asteroids at home. Very smooth. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm proud of that one. Uh, there's also another one um, called Microgrid. Uh, another one to do with cryptocurrencies where you can earn a uh, grid coin for just doing some small tasks in the browser. I think it's uh, with prime numbers of some sort. 
So it has been done a little bit here and there. Uh, as for um, how the different ones work, I think uh, the Spark one uses WebAssembly, I think, in some way, whereas the um, the microgrid one actually just uses native JavaScript. And you can actually use JavaScript um, to just simply do this sort of distributed computing, but then again, it's not particularly that efficient. So you're probably going to want some more of a WebAssembly uh, style thing, which might come in the future. It's a new technology, and um, I don't know. So... Uh, so, Jeringo, do you think it's a worthwhile venture? Do you think we should uh, do it, yeah, or I'm, do you think we should think about it? I'm actually, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about a project I'm uh, trying to put together having to do with reaching out to schools, and uh, sort of inspired off of the World Community Grid uh, competition that we mentioned a couple shows back that uh, got a school involved. And if there was a way to, um, uh, one of the main hurdle for reaching out to schools is showing, giving them an example of what this thing does. Because you go in and, you know, you talk to a teacher or an administrator and you're like, here's this thing. Here, let me download it on your computer. Here, let me spend an hour setting it up and, yep. and tweaking the settings. But if there was just a website we could go to where you go into the teacher and you're like, so I want to download this on your computers. I want to go through the whole process and teach the kids about computer programming and computational science and all this stuff. But let me just show you what it does really quick uh, in, in sort of like a demo. Uh, so we go to the website and it's running just a simple project. It's not the most efficient, but it, it like we were saying before, it shows the basic concepts of what's going on. And it, it, the person who's looking at it, who has never seen anything like this before, never ran the SETI screensaver or anything like that, sees it and is just gripped immediately. So like, okay, let's do that. And then I can say, Okay, I'm going to install this on your computer. Uh, I need your IT guy to help me install it on the entire school's computers. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll take a couple of days tweaking the settings. But having that and, demo, that really accessible website would be so useful. Yeah, and I was going to point out, make sure you actually get permission before you put it onto the computers. Uh, one comment here in the, in the not the Reddit, the Reddit. Uh, <laughs> one, one comment uh, here says, make sure you do get uh, permission if you're going to run it on computers that you don't actually own. So uh, it might be a little bit of a legal issue or a technical issue, um, depending on the environment, I guess. Absolutely. And that... It, having it on a browser, having it just on a website would open up some more issues with that uh, because people, like, you can lock down a computer so you can't install things on it, really, but you can't lock it. You would have to block the website, I guess. So until people found yeah, the so website. Maybe some school firewalls might block it or something like that, but yeah. I don't think I don't think it's that bad because, I mean, the WebAssembly stuff is pretty secure, so I don't see any reason why they would block it. Yeah, but I, I think that's a bridge to cross if and when anyone develops a web-based point project. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I want to bring up a point. You mentioned um, the you mentioned briefly the fact that people might be coming on and hopping off, and so you'd get aborted tasks quite frequently, right? Um, yeah. And now, uh, I've probably, uh, I sort of want to explain that because the the thing that comes from Boink in distributed computing and other distributed means of citizen science, such as Zooniverse.org, is essentially the power of the crowd. So as more people come and do it, it gets more and more valid. So in the case of Boink, the way it does it is if, um, now what aborting a task means is you essentially say, I don't want to compute this task anymore. So you tell the Boink server, hey, um, I don't want to do this task anymore. And so the Boink server say, okay, okay, we'll, we'll just give it to someone else. And so you might think that that's a little bit of a waste of computational resources. Fair enough, it is. Um, and with <laughs> distributed computing, <laughs> um, even though it's less efficient, it can still get a lot done with a lot of 
computers with a relatively good amount of efficiency. So even though two people have to complete the same task at a very minimum in most Boink projects, um, it's it's still pretty efficient. And same with Zooniverse.org. As more people uh, pile onto the project and complete uh, classifications, um, essentially you just take the average of what people classify. So a good example, I was talking about Bash the Bug earlier. In Bash the Bug, you have to give a number. So which agar plate shows where the bacteria is completely dead? Seven. So <laughs> that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can go up to, I think, 10 agar plates, I think they have. But yeah, um, so let's say you did pick seven, and seven is relatively the right number. But then you'll get, uh, let's say, a 1,000 people picking seven, and then you get uh, 12 people picking one, and then five picking eight and then 17 picking six for example so you'd either take the average or you take the distribution and then that would show you which agar plate approximately is the one that everyone chose and as more people come on chances are the more people will produce the correct answer and eventually as you get so many more samples you eventually get the correct answer so even though in this sort of web-based project you are coming in and maybe lots of people are reporting tasks or not submitting them um you it, Boink will still work, and I mean, it might be a little bit less efficient, but as you've said, Jeringer, maybe we're not here for efficiency and uh, absolute crunching. Maybe we're here to encourage people to actually go through with the full Boink process, but I know if this were to exist, I'd be crunching it on a whole bunch of my browsers. That, that's all that I know. <laughs> You'd have like 20 tabs open, all crunching, and it's like... <laughs> <laughs> No, nah, I do it when I'm at uni all the time because usually when we're at uni, you're probably on a computer because I do computer science. Obviously, we're going to be using computers. So it's a it's an easy way to do it. Like at uni, like whenever I'm bored on a computer waiting for my tutor or a lecturer to do something, I just load up Zooniverse and I start doing Zooniverse stuff. But it would be great to not only do the Zooniverse stuff, but also have another tab where I'm doing distributed computing. Right, and I imagine you'd have settings in there that make sure you're not like uh, just completely making your computer a brick. Essentially, when you're trying to use it to do other stuff, you could set it at, like twenty yep. percent CPU time. And I think it's a great idea. Uh, I think someone should do it. But it'd need a lot of work though, because you need to. Because if the goal is going to be enticing people to come in, you got to make it look sleek. You got to make it look easy. You're probably going to need a visualization of some sort, and then. Not only do you need all of that and all the web development, you also need a project that actually supports it. So you need to be able to find a project that can communicate with WebAssembly and stuff like that, um, which I'm not even sure is actually compatible with Boink. We might have to ask someone whether it is actually compatible with the current Boink. I assume it is, because the way that Boink works is you have an application and you have data. So if you can send the application via WebAssembly to the web browser, and then you can somehow get the data across with JavaScript of some sort, then that's that's pretty easy. But, I mean, it would take a lot of work. Yeah, sounds like a, uh, a great opportunity for a university to step in and be like, hey, we got this department that wants to do design for a web app. They'll do the design. We want a department that wants to do the software. They'll do the software. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Just putting it out there. Just throwing it out. Just listen to us universities. <laughs> I'd like to speak with your CEO. Do your universities have CEOs out there? Uh, no, uh, we have, I think we have chancellors and vice chancellors. Ooh, that sounds so much more. <laughs> I'll go with posh. I'll go with posh. <laughs> 
But yeah, we have like uh, actually our universities are actually legislated by the state. There's actually like bills that define what our university has to look like. <laughs> like look like in terms of the buildings, like what the buildings look like. Oh no, just uh, organizational structures and like you have okay. to have a student committee, you have to have a chancellor, vice chancellor, this, that, and all that. You not you have private universities out there though, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a couple around here, but the main big ones are legislated. Huh. Yeah, because we have the uh, uh, state-run schools out here, and then a lot of private schools. Too. The state yeah. ones do have requirements. Oh yeah, over here, private and public high schools and stuff like that have um, requirements, uh, like requirements nonetheless. But yeah, we we have. Uh, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Australia. We're tangent. upside down. Whatever that smell is. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone wondering? Heavy days. Anyone wondering what the song was at the beginning of this show? It is called "The Sounds of Then." This is Australia by Gang Gajang. It's a great name. You got it. <laughs> and on that note, uh, have we covered web dev, web projects? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's pretty much it. All right, cool. Uh, you got anything else you want to talk about this week? Uh, no, I actually had down the benefits of the crowd, but I'm pretty sure I just covered it all with um, what's it called uh, talking about the. Um, Zooniverse and all that. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Um, cool. Speaking of benefits of a crowd, though, there's this group of, of folks that sponsor this show. Uh, it's called Library.Science. Have you ever heard of them? I don't know. The L sounds familiar. <laughs> the L? <laughs> yeah, just it's the, the L. Like, I remember something starting with L, and I'm like, oh, they're like a crowd sort of thing, aren't they? Oh. <laughs> L stands L. for crowd, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a C that got like a little flat in two directions. I don't know. But yes, it's lbry.cyan. Uh, they help us uh, with some of the production aspects of the show, and they help us host the show on this decentralized content hosting platform called Library, L-B-R-Y. You can visit library at library.tv, lbry.tv, or library.com, lbry.com. Pretty cool platform, doing some pretty cool things. Uh, do check them out if you are into a decentralized future, Web 3.0, all that fun stuff, all that jargon. Is there a .com.au version? .com.au? Is that Australia? What is yeah. this magic? I have no idea. Is there a library.com.au? Does it have to be translated from English into Australian? Yeah, you have to like flip all the letters upside down <laughs> so that we can read it. Uh, there should be like a google.com.au where that's what happens. There is a google.com.au, but it doesn't flip everything upside down. <laughs> I mean, they might do it on on um, April Fools, but I don't know. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, and one other thing, I wanted to get out at the beginning of the show, but I forgot. Uh, we'll get into more details uh, next week at 4 p.m. EST here on the Boink Network Discord server, and that has to do with the Boink Workshop, which is coming up the week of September 7th in Germany, hosted by the Wreckingcraft team. Uh, pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. They're getting some more details out. Uh, but we'll go over that next week at the beginning of the show. Delta, remind me if I forget, because it's very important news. We have to let everyone know that they're going to Germany in September. I'll uh, drink some tea that'll remind me. German tea. Yes. Uh, actually, I think I have some. I'll have to check. <laughs> Ooh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I'll have to see. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I guess then it's it's that time for that smooth, smooth outro music, yeah? Yeah, I think so. And while drinking my smooth, smooth tea. Mm-hmm.